Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Emmy Fortin with me, and Emmy and I met recently in a training program to give TED Talks, and we're on this journey to bring a bigger message to the world. And what struck me about Emmy is she's an expert in the breakup process. That's that time after the relationship ends, but before you get into your new relationship. And she's got some pretty great ideas about how to navigate that period of time. Emmy, welcome. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Ed. Thanks for having me. And the way you described that was exactly right. So I, I describe myself as a breakup and relationship coach because... As you said, I like to help people through their breakups, basically the recovery process. And the way that I have my program set up is that it helps people lay a really strong foundation in themselves so that they can attract their happy, healthy relationships in the future. So, you know, that can also include people who are in confusing relationships and, you know, not sure where it's going. Um, so that's that's why, you know, kind of say all things relationships and breakups. Now, how did you get to this this work? Tell me a little bit about your journey. I read in the bio that you were a biology high school teacher. Yes, <laughs> I do love my biology. Um, I was a high school bio teacher for 16 years, really enjoyed it. But I just, I really had this calling to kind of shift what I was doing um, because of my own experiences. So I was in this on and off relationship for six years, which means I was going through breakups with the same person over and over. Um, And it really was a cycle. I just was very, I felt very, very stuck, even though I kind of logically, you know, knew what I should be doing and knew that I had to get out of it. I just, I couldn't for the longest time. And so it was from that experience that I decided I wanted to help people who were either in similar situations or anything where they were really struggling to move forward, having to do with their relationship. And, and so then I just, you know, I went straight for it. And I was like, after I started my business, I, I kind of left, you know, a leap of faith, leaving my teaching job and just kind of diving headfirst into this which has its own money consequences. I can only imagine, right? <laughs> exactly. Your teachers are paid very consistently and feel at least secure in that their, their pay is going to come through pretty regularly. But then now you would say entrepreneur? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100% security to 100% insecurity. <laughs> Wow. Can we take a quick side tour and say, how has that been for you? How are you navigating that piece of your life transition? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I gave it a lot of thought. I didn't just uh, blindly jump into it. So in my specific instance, I had uh, some money saved up, you know, from all of my years of teaching. And I always kind of just planned that I was going to, you know, save it for a down payment on a house or something. 
Um, but you know, as I was really being called to want to do something new, you know, I was in like a meditation one day and I was like a light went off and it was like, ding. it's like, Oh my gosh, what if all this money I've saved up isn't for a house? What if it's my launch pad Uh, to completely change my life and do something different? And so as soon as I kind of got comfortable with that mindset and that idea, um, I kind of planned out how long I could still continue living my same exact lifestyle, you know, how long it would be, and you know, until I ran out, basically not ran out, but, you know, it started to get a little nerve wracking. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, so I just made sure that I had somewhat of a plan around that and uh, still still working in that direction. <laughs> That's incredible. And so I think the beauty for many listeners here is, they they probably have their savings account and they had it in mind for one thing. Mm-hmm. They feel this calling or this gnawing to go in a different direction. And because you had been financially responsible, it sounds like, I mean, that's what I'm assuming. Yes, very, very responsible. <laughs> very responsible. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, the therap- financial therapist in me has got to ask, where do you think that comes from? Uh, well, I mean, I think I am just a very responsible person in general. And so, you know, doing something completely high risk with my money just wouldn't make sense normally. Yeah, um, right. You know, plus, you know, I, I was brought up and, you know, a family that kind of taught us a little bit about, you know, making sure that you don't dip into debt. And, you know, if you want to purchase something big, but you can't afford it, then you really want to think, you know, about that. So I've always just been very fiscally responsible. Um so this was definitely a a very challenging decision. I mean, it, the adrenaline was just pumping, you know, as I went into the office that day and I was like, oh my gosh, am I really doing this? I can't believe I'm actually doing this. It's really been a big stretching of how you see yourself and the way you relate to money to allow yourself to feel quote unquote less responsible. Yeah. I mean, and I had to really work on my mindset around money to, uh-huh. in order to kind of liberate myself to be able to do this. Because like you said, I had this very fixed mindset about, first of all, you know, what my money was going to be used for, but also the idea of like that fear behind, okay, I have to save all my money and like, I can't spend it. You know, it's it, so as I started to do more work around money and energy, it's like, you know, I had to shift into the idea of money comes and goes constantly and to be able to create a flow in and out and just kind of trust that what I'm doing is going to bring in what I need. And then I'm going to spend what I need on my business also to help it grow. That's incredible. You were sharing part of this journey now is a new book that's going to be coming out. (laughs) Yes. Can you share a little bit about what's the book called? What's happening in the book? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, It's a memoir. Uh So that on and off relationship I was just talking about, the book is about that. It's uh, spicy. My friend describes it as like a cross between sex in the city and meets the world of salsa dancing. I'm a salsa (laughs) dancer and so was my ex-partner. Um, and so it's basically, you know, the, the roller coaster ride of our relationship, plus all of my, fun, crazy dating and travel adventures in between, you know, every time we were broken up. So it'll bring you through all the feels for sure. All (laughs) the feels. Yes. It's called who is your red dress? 
One Woman's Quest to Break Up with a Love Addiction. Wow. Who is your red dress? R-E-D? Yes. Red dress. Yes. You know, and I, I read the title before hopping on this interview and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. But now as you're describing this part of your life, the dancing yes, and the salsa, it makes even more sense. Makes more sense for, for sure. Yes. Wow. Man, I want to, I got to go get a copy. So, <laughs> so when is it coming out? So the plan is hopefully end of July, if everything stays on track, um, hope to be releasing it then. That's going to be incredible. So we got this salsa dancer, former high school biology teacher <laughs> talking about love addiction. I mean, you don't get to meet that person every day. <laughs> right. I mean, it's so life. It is life. And there's so many incredible people out there doing amazing things. And so you're on this transformational journey. You use the word love addiction. What does that word mean to you? Yeah, it, for me, it was it was a cycle. And, and it wasn't good for either of us. So, you know, I know that word toxic kind of gets thrown around a lot these days, but that is exactly what I would describe it as. And even while I was in it, I even referred to it as like I was addicted to, you know, the ups and the downs, the highs of, you know, going out, dancing together and, you know, how we were when we were good and then having dramatic crashes every time we would break up. So you know, it's very similar to other kinds of addictions, you know, and I don't use the word addiction lightly. I want to make that clear for the audience, you know, this, I would consider it, you know, more soft addictions. Um, but the idea is still the same. It's something that I couldn't pull myself away from. It wasn't healthy for me. And it's like that loop that just replays in your head over and over and over. And you're constantly called to it. Um, and, you know, you have those like two voices in your head that are always arguing like, oh, but uh, I want it. No, stay away from it. You know, so for me, when I hear love addiction, I, I look through the lens of attachment theory and we haven't, you know, we're just knowing each other. So I don't know if you're familiar with attachment theory, even I just knew I wanted to interview because you your story seemed amazing to me. Are you familiar with attachment theory? I mean, yeah, I am. I think it would be perfect for you to talk a little bit about it because I, I think having an understanding of those types of attachments is really helpful for people if they're in this situation or you know even in any relationship just understanding how you and your partner just act in certain situations is so helpful right so you know my attachment theory has the four styles the secure the anxious the avoidant and the disorganized attachment and you know, in my mind, that kind of the classic love addiction is someone that has an anxious attachment style, mm -hmm. where they're always kind of wanting to be in the relationship. It can feel really good when they get the attention to be in the relationship. And then as soon as the attention kind of pulls away from them, they kind of crash down. And yeah, that, that was me for sure. The, the anxious attachment. And of course, I was attached to an avoidant. So <laughs> yes. So and then so of course, how does the avoidant show up in the relationship? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I think one of the key characteristics is that that person really does want love and, you know, wants to have those close feelings, but is also threatened by them. And so they pull away. And so you're constantly getting this push and pull into the anxious person. That's like, you know, it, it turns your world upside down every time that happens, because that person is constantly obsessed with, okay, what is the health of this relationship? Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, so I'm curious, did you know about attachment theory as a high school biology teacher? I did not. I've only recently learned about that, like over the past, you know, few, uh, past year or two. So that, I mean, that was very enlightening. <laughs> right. You know, because what's, what's the high school biology curriculum in general? Like oh, lots about cells, plant, you know, photosynthesis. Uh, we learn the body systems briefly, you know, evolution, everything about the environment, ecology. So we don't touch upon relationships, which I find is just so sad. Like I would have, how much healthier, this is my kind of mission with my 10X talk too, right? Ed is like, how much healthier would everybody's relationships be if we could learn so much more about ourselves and our own coping mechanisms, our own patterns before we jump into like years (laughs) of, you know, potential heartbreak and Right. I mean, and this is full respect for the school system, the educational system, but like my need to understand photosynthesis relative to like my need to understand neurochemicals that get released in a love relationship is profoundly different. Yes. You know, I would have to agree. I'm with you. I think. And what's so interesting is that attachment is really this blend between psychology and biology, right? Is right. living as living creatures, we need connection. And so this is not about anti-connection. It's fully about being able to connect with somebody, but in a secure reciprocal way. And homeostasis is a word in biology that gets used a lot, right? Yes. That is like one of two words that everybody remembers from bio. <laughs> Yes. Good, good, good. So, but right. Attachment, our attachment system is, it has its own homeostasis to it, right? Right. It wants to keep functioning in the way that it's become wired to function through experience. And so we grow into developmentally, you talk about evolution and that's why partly why I like attachment theory too, is it does have an evolutionary perspective. It's not unique to just humans, large parts of the mammal kingdom also have attachment bonding and patterns. And so this is real science. This is not soft, mushy stuff that Emmy and I are just making up for the fun of it. <laughs> this is studied rigorously in, in science. And so, so you identified, yeah, I, I definitely had the anxious attachment style. My partner had the avoidant attachment style and we'd go loop to loop. What was the journey to finally starting to end that cycle for you? Yes, that is a great question. That's the most important question, right? Everyone wants to know, okay, well, what do we do about it? (laughs) Okay, great. I've identified the problem. I see it's a problem. What do I do now? Yeah. So there were lots of things that I started kind of getting into. I hired a coach. Uh, My mom actually was a life coach for a while. So, you know, I'd heard her talking about it and, you know, I hired a coach for myself, which helped for sure. And then I hired one later also, but I will say the key thing, and I talk about it in my book, is I knew I had to do something drastic to help me break my pattern. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I was like, okay, I can't stay away from this guy. Like physically, I just, you know, we we live in the vicinity of each other. You know, we go Uh to the same places. So it's very probable that we will end up seeing each other when we're out. So, you know, my first thing is I need to physically distance myself. So. I left the country. <laughs> okay. I, uh, I actually decided to do, to immerse myself and study Spanish in Spain. Uh-huh. And so, you know, for me, I, I went with a lot of intention 
you know, the first intention was to learn Spanish, but my second intention and most important was really to make myself feel more confident, competent, and independent, uh-huh. you know, and enjoy myself without, you know, obsessing over this other person every day. And that was huge for me, Ed, like so huge because it was so far out of my comfort zone. I mean, I had never even taken, you know, the Boston subway by myself. And here I wanted to solo travel. I went for three weeks and just figured everything out. And, and, you know, that trip was life-changing. You know, I'm almost, I'm fighting back a little bit of tears as I'm thinking about this, because it's really connecting for me. I hadn't thought about some travel I did internationally where I was truly alone for the first time. And it was in its own way, breaking that relational addiction because I too am a recovering anxious attachment style where my mind constantly ruminates on how to be in relationship with people, but never really thinking about how to be in relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And so what I heard you describing is like, I knew I needed to figure out myself and how to be with myself and be comfortable with myself. And that's the major task in my book for anxiously attached individuals is they don't have a relationship with themselves. They've got a right. relationship with everybody else. That's usually based on meeting their needs and not their own. Yes. And, and that is completely 100% like what I advocate in, you know, with my clients and my program, anytime I speak, it's like knowing yourself, like you said, especially for someone who's like an anxious attachment is so important. Um, you know, and I had to shed my own limiting thoughts about who I was and what I was capable of, you know, in my head, you know, initially I was like, oh, you know, I'm not the kind of person that does that. I'm not the kind of person that just goes to another country and, you know, just does all these things by myself. I mean, there were so many, you know, self stories and identities that I had to just completely let go of, or not even let go, but challenge, you know, and almost like prove to my, okay, you know, can I do this? Well, I'm going to have to figure it out. (laughs) I'm going to have to figure it out. Yeah. So what's, what's one of those great things that you figured out about yourself while you're there in Spain? Wow. That I was so much more competent and confident and resourceful than I ever gave myself credit for. You know, um, you know, even in interacting with people, because I really am an introvert, um, I have to kind of force myself to be social. Um, you know, I enjoy it while I'm doing it, but I really prefer to be by myself. Um, you know, going there and just allowing myself to just be open to talking to tons of new people every day it actually liberated me from, you know, the person who I thought I was or needed to be, you know, even though I wasn't dramatically different, it just, I gave myself the opportunity to just be who I wanted to be in the moment. Like no one knows me there, you know, no one knows me. They're probably never going to see me again. And I found myself, you know, not long after I got there, I found myself like, being much more gregarious than I normally would, being more outgoing, smiling and laughing more, you know, and it just did something to me mentally that like opened myself up, uh, which was really nice. And I I kept remembering, you know, the whole time I was there, 
was really enjoying who I was. And I just kept telling myself, when you go home, you need to remember this. You need to remember who you have been here and bring it back home with you. Don't fall into the same patterns. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. You know, the whole time I was there, I was really enjoying who I was. And I just kept telling myself, when you go home, you need to remember this. You need to remember who you have been here and yeah, bring it awesome. back home with you. Don't fall into the same patterns. And so how has that been for you coming back home and being able to hold on to these new experiences and ways of experiencing yourself differently? Yeah. I mean, that was years ago now. I was, I don't know, probably seven or eight years ago, but um, I pursued travel, like solo travel a few more times, actually, just because, you know, I knew how much of an impact it had on me the first time. But I think what it really did, what stuck with me the most is knowing that I figured it all out. And anything that I have now moving forward, I will figure it out. So I'm curious, this this came after leaving teaching or before leaving teaching? Before. So you were a teacher, then you went to Spain where you really kind of discovered your own confidence and capability and gregariousness, and you Mm -hmm. come back to being a school teacher. Mm -hmm. How much longer did it last before you're like, I got to get out of this? I imagine you were already probably somewhat in that too. Or have, yeah, have you I thought mean, about would, leaving teaching at this point or that was still? No, no, I hadn't thought about leaving teaching. I mean, it's such a good job, you know, as far as like, all, you know, how supported I was with yeah. everything. But so I call it waking up. I call my program wake up from your breakup. And I call it that because I feel like that's what happened to me. Yeah. Once you start that process of uncovering yourself and challenging all the things you thought you were or the way that you used to think, you know, you slowly open up these new doors, these new slivers of light. And it's like, you can't, you can't look away from that. And so once you're, once you are on that path to, to really, truly self, you know, discovering yourself, yeah. well, then you just get curious and you're like, whoa, I wonder, I wonder about this and, you know, let's explore that further. And so. Yeah, I would say maybe five years after that initial trip was when, you know, I really started thinking about it and calculating, like, how could I actually do this, Yeah, you know, and make it work? Well, I love what you're saying is consistent with my experience and having talked with quite a number of other people about transformational journeys is it's, there are those light bulb moments or those defining moments that you can point to along the way, but it's, it is a lot of the subtle, small shifts that just keep adding up. And then you realize like you hit these points where there's a time for a major change, like leaving being a school teacher and becoming this relationship coach. 
But imagine some of that being a, becoming the, the relationship coach and breakup coach couldn't have come until after you really worked through your own stuff. Oh, 100%. There's no way I would have considered that beforehand. Because, you know, I like that you said it's like incremental. And, you know, like I think um, it, it would be ill-advised to tell people like, oh, you're going to have this like revelation and you're going to be totally different, you know, like, overnight. <laughs> it's like, it's this thing that you just, you start, you embark on it. And um, I really resonated with the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, where he talks about the 1% rule. And, you know, it's like, you don't notice it while you're making those 1% changes, but eventually, you know, all those 1%, they, they, they make you, you know, they illuminate you to the threshold that you finally crossed. Um, and so that's kind of how I view what my journey has been like. It's, it's all these incremental things and, and eventually you then feel differently about yourself. You have a new story that you're telling yourself all the time and, Look, you know, for me, that has culminated into a sense of self security that I I can figure anything out and and I'll be fine no matter no matter what. Like even if this doesn't work, I can shift and do something else. Like it's it's really yeah. more going from like a fear and insecurities based thought system, yeah, into more of a exploratory like wow, like what can happen? I'm so excited that I don't even know what can happen yet. Yeah, it's really more growth minded. Well, you know, and for me, at least from the language of attachment theory, that's really one of those first developmental tasks that we see in childhood is our parents serve as a secure base for us mm -hmm. to go out and explore and be curious about the world and to face inevitable challenges as a child and to be able to go back to that parent and feel loved, cared and accepted. Mm -hmm. And it's this back and forth, back and forth. And assuming that goes good enough, we develop and internalize a secure sense of self, mm. right? And then we can carry that into the world. That's, you know, I didn't have that firsthand experience. So that's what the books say. That's what the theory says. I believe it to be, I think it makes sense. But what, <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is you can actually do this for yourself too, though. You can keep coming back to yourself. You can keep challenging yourself to explore and question and challenge and then come back to yourself and say, okay, I'm still okay. Look, that didn't kill me. Oh, wow. That went really good. Yeah. Oh, that went not so hot. <laughs> and you come back and you recover and you just kind of keep coming back and forth. But some people like to use the language of the true self or the authentic self as the kind of that inner or inner light in more spiritual language. I think it's all synonymous as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And, and one thing that I use with my clients, I have this relationship cheat sheet but it's really like on the surface, it's this kind of wish list, right? That you create yeah. in order to get really clear about the kind of partner that you want, the kind of relationship you want. So you make your lists, but then, you know, I say, okay, now we're going to reflect this back on you. And so, like you said, you know, making yourself feel secure. Um, that's a very big piece of, I think what I help people do is, okay, first realize what are you outwardly seeking? you know, from others. And now can you turn that around and start supplying that for yourself? Um, and I think that is what helps to create this foundation where, you know, if, if you're providing your own security, your own safety, you know, I'm talking like emotionally, but everything, yeah. whatever your definition and, and what your core needs are, if you're able to provide that to yourself, 
then, you know, someone else comes along, it's just going to be two, you know, complete individuals enhancing each other's lives versus like, you know, I am functioning from, you know, a lack of self-worth. So I need you to tell me how, you know, great I am or how, you know, beautiful I am or whatnot. So I think the more that you can strengthen what your own potential insecurities and fears are can be, then the more secure and healthy your attachments will be to others. Yeah, that absolutely. And that that's such a powerful journey to be on. And I think, you know, from a financial standpoint, that has huge repercussions too, positive repercussions, right? Is that sense of financial dependency and neediness starts to change and you get to have more financial pleasure because you're less worried about what your partner thinks about you and how you spend money or how you earn money even can change the relationship when there's an internal security between you and, and your partner. Wow. So this exercise of what do you want in a relationship? Mm-hmm. And they they come out up with this out of their own head or you you kind of, you said you have a cheat sheet. So there's yeah. It's kind of guides them on like here's 20 different relationship positive relationship attributes which ones resonate for you the most? Is that what we're talking about or Um I kind of just have them generate. So there's four quadrants on it. Yeah. So, you know, one of the quadrants is to identify what your core values are. Yeah. Um and you know, ultimately your partner would at least be in alignment with what those are. You know, second quadrant is what qualities or characteristics would you ideally like to have in a partner and then not want for sure like red flags like stay away from yeah yeah um the third quadrant is actually how do i want to feel in a relationship consistently okay and the fourth quadrant is more of like um bringing to your awareness becoming an observer of both yourself and you know, your prospective partner in like the courting process or, you know, in the relationship process, it's bringing that level of awareness. So when you put all of these quadrants together, you're not only being really mindful and intentional about creating the relationship that you want, because think about it, like how, how often do people just kind of, they even call it falling in love. It's like People just fall into relationships for so many reasons. You know, maybe it's convenient. Maybe it's because of chemistry. Maybe it's just because, you know, you work together and you see each other every day. Like there's so many circumstances, but you know, if you give yourself the opportunity to really do the hard work and be intentional, you create the kind of relationship that you want rather than just falling into it. And, And one thing that I, that I highlight, I think is the most important thing is that you create your not only your relationship but your whole life based on either decisions or indecision. Right. You can either yeah. take action to create or not take action. It's going to lead to an outcome. Either of them will have an outcome. Right. Yeah, and it I guess it's really yeah, part of developing personal agency and realizing we can be actors in our own world that the world is not just happening to us, but we can happen to the world, right? It's, we're making that, this is how I want, this is where I want to go with it. And, um, exactly. And, and for me, that story, like, like in, in my, my personal story, right. In that on and off relationship, I felt very like out of control and that it was happening to me. So like I had a very victim mindset about it, 
then you know I had this like aha moment I was like crying on my floor you know like curled in a ball just like heaving you know in the floor of my living room and I had this lucid moment where I was like this is absolutely ridiculous like I was like Emily you you are the one who is keeping yourself here you are the one keeping yourself here right now experiencing this yeah. And it is really in that moment that I decided, okay, you know what, no matter what, from here on out, I'm going to start making choices that pull me out of this and help me progress as an individual. So, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but I started doing things consistently that helped to prepare myself to do what I needed to do. You know, in the the language of, of trauma, I think about the triggers, the things that cause us to collapse into that mm-hmm. kind of victim space on the floor. Is that <laughs> something that resonates for you? Do you connect oh, yeah. through? And so, you know, that seems to be a, a common theme along the personal development and healing journey, right? Is we have to almost go backwards and almost allow our unconscious victimhood to become conscious and then like recognize like, oh, but I'm that's not happening to me anymore. That's in the past. And I have choice now. Does that? Yeah, hundred percent. Because, you know, I'm sure that you see this too in coaching is like, sometimes people can come to you and they're talking about how miserable they are or how things need to change, but you have this sense of like, they're not going to do anything about it. They're, they're still in the talking phase, right? They're still in the lamenting phase, the victim phase. And so even, you know, back then, even when I was trying things that are supposed to help you, you know, they weren't. And it's because I hadn't yet decided that I was going to help myself move forward because I, it it turned, it turned from an outward to something like, Oh, maybe this will fix me. Maybe this will help me. It turned into an inward decision. And I think that that's, really so foundational for people to understand is whether you're working with a coach or a therapist, if they're not helping you connect with that internal process of deciding what you want and that you can do it, you're missing it. Yeah. And and it helps you. You're the one that has to own your transformation. Like, you know, I tell you that in teaching all the time, you know, even when you're in the classroom, it's like, you, know, you ask students questions, you don't then just give them the answer. You let them come up with the answer. You let them create their own project because it gives them ownership. So it's the same thing in personal development. You have to have ownership over your decision to help yourself. You know, your, your coach, yeah. your therapist can be telling you all the things to do, right. but if, until you've owned your own recovery, it's not going to be transformational, most likely. It, it is that earlier stages, right? It's not transformational. It's just informational. Mm-hmm, exactly. Right. It's like my teacher has given me this information, my therapist, my coach, my family member. And if it was just as easy as getting information on how to do something, especially in personal development, we would do it and we would right. be great. But no, it's got to come from inside who you are and coaches, teachers, um, therapists can lead you through a process and help you discover it within you, but it's still ultimately you that has to connect with it. 
Yeah. And that's why I'm drawn to, to breakups so much is because it can be such a debilitatingly overwhelming situation in your life. Um, I mean, it, it can, you know, bring you to, to rubble. That's how I used to describe how I would feel sometimes. And sometimes it's those devastating situations that are the opportunity for you to come now from the very bottom and pull yourself up. So I, I like to kind of talk about how the most challenging time in your life, whether it's a breakup or some other kind of life transition, this is actually a blessing because this is your opportunity to wake up and to be open to what life is asking you to learn right now about yourself. Yeah. You know, what is life asking you to learn and do moving forward? Or are you just going to go back to sleep and continue <laughs> to have you know, all the same stuff go on right, over and over? Right. No, that's beautiful. And as we think about wrapping this, this time together, I, I mean, certainly we could keep talking about this for a long time, but it's an opportunity. And for, for you, especially meeting people on that road of breakup, I imagine so many people, as I've seen in my practice with couples, they inherently feel like a victim. And in some ways, they maybe have experienced some painful things that leave them with that first victim state, but we can't stay there. Like right. Yeah. And like, let's not negate, like, there are some very bad things that, you know, yeah, like you are a victim in that case. However, like you said, you have to be your own savior and shift into that mindset of deciding, you know what, I'm going to move forward no matter what, no matter what it takes. I'm going to invest in myself, however that needs to be. And I'm going to prioritize my own recovery, my healing, my progress. And that, this is that, that walking the respectful tightrope with folks is we don't want to minimize the reality of victimhood and experience of bad things happening to people. Right. Yeah. Not at all. At the same time, if, if that's part of your chronic life condition and space, it keeps begging the question, what can you do to change or get out of that environment? It's really a wake up call and it's an opportunity as you were saying, and, um, it's so powerful to to come into that. And if you're not able to do that on your own, working with someone like Emmy or myself or or anybody that's when people listen to these interviews, what I hope they hear is the common theme of the person that's trying to help me has already done their work. That doesn't mean they're done or they're they're perfect or they're on high. Actually, if you experience someone that feels like they're coming from on high, they probably haven't done the work. Exactly. Because if you've done this work, it's very humbling. And it will remind you that you are a fellow human with this other person that's working through their suffering. Um, and as, as we're wrapping this up, how can people connect with you? What's one parting piece of advice, guidance, or question that you would love to leave people with? Yeah, thanks. So um, people can check me out on my website. It's emmyfortin.com. It's E-M-M-I. F-O-R-T-I-N. And that relationship cheat sheet that we talked about, it's actually a, a freebie, a download. So if anybody is interested in checking that out, um, I also have a mini guide, the six things you can do now to get over your breakup. So those are completely free on the website. You can email me, get in touch. I do free discovery calls to see if you know coaching and my program is a good fit for you. Um, and then the question I leave people with is just, <laughs> and uh, I mean it in the, in the most loving way. 
is, you know, if you are in a situation that you are struggling with, my question is always, okay, how much longer would you like to continue struggling with that? Because ultimately you are the one that chooses, you get to choose when you start helping yourself out of that situation. You're the one that creates a plan. You know, you're the one that seeks the help you need. It's, it's, it's you. Uh, it's such a great question. It brings me back and brings kind of, I felt some alignment coming back in my chest, <laughs> right? It's, it, because this, I, for me, I like the analogy of chiropractic, like our backs, like this work, we can still get, we still get out of line. And sometimes you just hear that question. It's like that good crack of your back where it's like, oh yeah, okay. Everything's back in alignment now, but it's just, so just say yeah. that question, question one more time as we wrap up. Yeah. And my dad is a chiropractor. I don't know if oh, you knew that, but no, I didn't know that. I love <laughs> yeah, it. I love that it. Example. I grew up with chiropractic. My mom is too, but uh, uh, she's practiced when I was younger, but yeah, no, that, that final question is, you know, for how much longer would you like to continue struggling with whatever the situation is that you're struggling with? Yeah. You, you get to choose when it ends. Yes. So drawing that line in the sand and saying, I'm figuring this out. And Right. Staying, staying committed to it. And it will be hard just because you're ready to end the struggle. doesn't mean it's going to be like, okay, I'm done with the struggle. I'll oh yeah. No no. <laughs> no, 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 no. But that becomes a, a marker on the sand. I mean, thank you so much for your generosity of spirit. I'm so excited for your book to come out and oh, I will have so information about the book title so people can be looking for it on Amazon. Uh, by the time you listen to this interview, it should be available. It'll be available on Amazon. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And your contact information, your free downloads and, I can't wait to see you on the TEDx stage. Oh, yes, same, same with you, Ed. You have an amazing topic, so I'm eager to hear it come out. Awesome. Well, be well, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, it will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money. Ed. Ed.